kind of goes right along with uh, the message that God's laid on my heart to share with you tonight. Well, I asked Brother John and David not to announce that I was coming, but I see they did it anyway. <laughs> About two-thirds of our folks are gone, so uh, nonetheless, you're here, and that's uh, I'm, I'm grateful for your presence. I noticed also that uh, Brother John dealt this morning with what I deal with every day of my life. Stress, living with Margaret. Uh, Was that a a subtitle he put under there? I didn't read that, but anyway. Yeah, anyway. It's a good thing I'm still alive. Tonight, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 10, would you? While you're you're looking for that passage, uh, I'm going to tell you another story. I probably have told you this story. You've heard it nonetheless. I'm going to repeat it anyway. The good part about getting old, you don't remember what you said and haven't said. And realizing my congregation, you wouldn't remember if I told you anyway. So uh, you're as old as I am, most of you. So there you go. So it won't matter. None of us remember anyway. But I, I like the story um, of an old man, a kindly old gentleman. He had a dog by the name of Sam. He loved Sam with all his heart. Many of you have pets. We have one. And some of you have met our dog. Her name is Cornbread. But uh, this little fellow's dog's name was Sam. And he loved Sam like, he, like, like the son he didn't have. And so every Sunday afternoon, the old man and Sam would go for a walk in the park. And he would pack a little sack lunch. They would sit on the park bench and they would enjoy their lunch together. One Sunday afternoon, as fate would have it, Sitting there minding her own business, a young hoodlum came walking into the park. Young man, looked rough, talked rough. He had a dog with him on a chain, big heavy chain, with one of those collars around his neck, you know, had the little spikes all over it. As a matter of fact, that was his dog name, Spike. And he walked up to the old fella sitting on the park bench, and he said, Hey, fella, I bet you my dog can whip your dog. As a matter of fact, that's the ugliest dog I've ever laid my eyes on. I've never seen an uglier dog in all the world than your dog. And I know that Spike could tear him up. And the old fellow just simply looked at the little hoodlum and said, Well, I wouldn't do that if I were you. He said, Why not? He said, I'm just telling you, I wouldn't do that. He said, All I've got to do is sick Spike on your dog Sam, and he would chew him to pieces. I wouldn't do that if I were you. He persisted. The old fellow only said two or three times, I just wouldn't do that if I were you. Well, the young guy did it anyway. He took the chain off the dog, turned him loose, and said, sick him, Spike. And a fight ensued, the likes of which you've never seen before, kind of cartoon character, you know, with dust flying everywhere, dog hair flying everywhere, blood, yapping, screaming, carrying on. Finally, when the fight was over, old Spike lay over there, bleeding, about half dead. Young guy couldn't believe it. Spike had never lost a fight in his life. Looked at the old man. He said, sir, i got to know one thing. What in the world, what kind of dog do you have? What is that day? He said, well, before I cut his tail off and painted him yellow, he was an alligator. <laughs> Things don't always appear or turn out to be the way they appear, do they? So, you know, sometimes we never know. Somebody was kind enough, I won't call his name, he's back there on the back row, uh, came up to me over there before the service and said, well, I understand you had some more plumbing done. Yep, 
He said, well, you're looking good. And I love Margaret's daddy's famous line. I use it all the time. Anytime somebody says, well, I understand you've been sick. You had more stents, whatever. Yep. You're looking good. And I just said, borrow her dad's line. Well, there's nothing wrong with my looks. It was my heart. (laughs) So things don't always uh, turn out the way you think that they are. Anyway, enough of that. (laughs) Some of you know that Margaret and I have been down the road just a little ways at Calvary um, a few weeks. with Jeff Duncan and his wife, Lori, are really going through a very hard time. Lori was in church today, as, as was Jeff. And Jeff preached today, and uh, Lori will start chemo uh, one day this week, probably Wednesday or maybe Thursday. That'll be done locally. And they are so much appreciative of your prayers and uh, all the other ways of support they have received all across this county and several others. And you may have heard that Lori's uh, surgery was done in Mexico City. It was successful surgery. Uh, most of the tumor was removed from her lung, and only time will tell uh, you know, what's going to happen. So now the doctor is going to try some uh, kind of radical chemos, uh, intravenous type. So we'll just keep praying for her and Jeff and the people at Calvary and, and their entire family there, okay? I know that they'll appreciate it. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus has so much to say here that I wish we had time to uh, to deal with all of it. But he's talking, of course, to the 12. He's just chosen the 12 of his disciples, and he's talked to them about their mission, what he's going to send them out to do, and and then he warns them. You come down to verse 16, he says, uh, you, I'm just going to warn you that you're going to go out, uh, you're going to go out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You're going to, you're going to go out there, but be as wise as serpents and be as harmless as a dove. Men are going to deliver you. They're going to uh, scourge you. They're going to bring you before uh, the, the tribunal and the courts. All for the, your testimony because you are one of my followers. Then he goes on to say to them, uh, here's what's going to happen. The day will come when brother shall deliver up brother to death, father the child. The child will rise up against their own parents to be put to death. You're going to be hated of all men for my name's sake. But when they persecute you in the city, flee to another. Then down in verse 24 is really where I want to zero into the chapter, the end of it, chapter 30, verse 30. He says this, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, nothing that's hidden that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that you speak in light, and what you hear in the ear, preach it upon the housetops. And Jesus said, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And, of course, he's talking about God the Father. Only he is able to kill body and soul. And then Jesus gives us a little analogy. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? 
and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear you not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Well, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him I will confess and will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. I have simply entitled this sermon, To a Penny. Two for a Penny. Many years ago as I pastored a church in South Alabama, a wonderful member of that church was named Rufus Wells. I use his name because he's gone to glory now, and I'm certain that none of you knew him. Brother Rufus was a wonderful Christian and member of the church, supported me completely. But he owned and operated a little general mercantile store in that little town where he sold everything, from clothing to meat. Anything you wanted was in that store. And most of it was sold by jot them down. People would come in and they'd get what they wanted and he'd jot it down on a book. Each person in the, in the town that uh, did business with Rufus had a little, little book and he kept it in a rack and, and, uh, you'd, he'd write down what you owed and at the end of the month most people would come in, they'd pay. I was in there one day, uh, visiting with Rufus and a lady came in and she got, you know, as he would call it, a bill of groceries. Some of y'all can relate to that. And she was going to pay for hers. And her, I remember this, I'll never forget it. Her bill came to $20 and one cent. $20 and a penny. She pulled out a $20 bill and turned to leave the store and Rufus said, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You owe me a penny. You know, and I reached in my pocket and started bringing out my change. He said, no. You, you mind your own business. <laughs> she owes me a penny. And if I let her get away with this one penny, she'll get away with more pennies in the future. And I couldn't believe it, but he caused her to bring out of her purse, and I don't know if she had a penny or not, but she brought out another $20 bill, and he broke that $20 bill and gave her $19.99 back. And he explained to me this. Here's his explanation. Pennies make dollars. You start giving one penny away before long, you've given away a lot of dollars. Pennies were important to Brother Rufus, and he was very, uh, you know, he, 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 well, he was just stingy. Can I just say it like it is? Yeah. But he, he was generous in a way, but stingy in other ways. But uh, money was not his God, but it was important uh, to him. Probably the wealthiest man in that town. And I share that with you simply because pennies were important to him. I, I read another story I'll share with you quickly, a preacher uh, he was walking down the sidewalk one day with his four-year-old son at his side. And the little boy looked down, and there on the sidewalk, he saw a penny. And it excited him to the point that he simply exclaimed, Daddy, Daddy, look what I found. Look what I found. I found a penny. And he re- the father recognized that finding that penny was so important to that little boy that as he walked ahead of that little feller, he reached in his pocket, and occasionally he would drop another penny. Pennies didn't mean much to that father. He knew he wasn't wasting a lot of money. But he knew that that penny would bring a lot of uh, happiness to his little boy. He wasn't sacrificing much, but the little boy picked up the pennies, and each time he exclaimed to his father, Look, Dad, another penny. I found another penny. 
what I want to simply say to this message tonight is this, that, that we serve a God of pennies. I've asked, been asked the question many times, how much does God care? David had no idea what I'd be preaching. I had no idea what he'd choose for us to sing. But every song we sang tonight was about Calvary, about the cross, about the love of God. Just how much he does care and love you and love me. I heard just on the news as we walked out of the house tonight that three more of our soldiers were killed yesterday in Afghanistan by one of the soldiers that were working alongside of trying to protect Turn and kill three of our soldiers, three more. Over several thousand of our soldiers have now died in Afghanistan and in the other countries, more than died in Vietnam and Korea together. We live in a tortured world where uh, there seems to be very little justice anywhere that we turn. But I know this, that in the world in which we live, we have a God who does love us. And he is here to preserve us and to let us know that he does care. Jesus gave to us this story he, to his disciples. He said, fellas, you're going to experience a lot of difficulty, a lot of problems. You're going to be persecuted. And, and almost without exception, every one of those men went on to, to die a martyr's death, gave themselves completely. Even after, the Bible says at one occasion, they all turned and went away from him. But one by one they came and, and they gave themselves completely for the cause of Jesus Christ. He warned them. But he says to them, listen, even though God is a God of pennies, God treasures you very much. In, in, in my life, there are some things that I consider worthless. Um, pennies, pennies don't do much. Some of you can remember as I going to a little country store. It was called the Little Store, four or five miles from where we lived in the country. And for a penny, believe it or not, and young people can't believe it, I could buy enough candy to fill me up. Now, it wasn't quite this big back then, but nonetheless, <laughs> it was a lot of candy. Penny bought a lot, but today a penny's not worth much. But God is so unlike us. God is so unlike me. I read about these ruthless dictators and I read about assassinists that these people who jumped out of trucks and cars in London a few days ago and wielding knives and swords began to try to kill people, murder people. The terrorists who, who blew up a concert and little children died innocently. To me, all of those people are totally worthless. I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for any of them. But you know what? Jesus says to me, hanging on the cross, I have better vision than you have. I have a bigger heart than you have. You see, he came to die on the cross to be resurrected from that grave so that all the souls of all sinful men might have an opportunity to be saved endlessly, eternally. God is a God of pennies. And even though I count them worthless, God counts them of great value. And certainly the, the Bible paints for us a beautiful picture that cannot be painted anywhere else. Our, our picture of a caring God is through his son, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but uh, 
Margaret's told me coming over here tonight, she said something about, oh, I know what it was. Looking this way toward the east, the sky over the church was filled with clouds. And I said, what do you see in the clouds? She said, nothing. What do you see? And I said, well, over there is Moses getting the Ten Commandments on the mountain. And over there is Joseph wearing his coat of many colors. She said, oh, you're crazy. <clears throat> and, I, and she said, I've seen Jesus in the clouds. And I said, well, what does Jesus look like? She said, oh, you know, you've seen all the pictures of Jesus? I said, what does, he look, what does he look like? Do we really know? And she said, well, yeah. You don't say, have you seen the pictures? And my, my mind's eye, the picture of Jesus is that he was a peasant. We know that. I don't know. I, I believe he was a very handsome man. Not with blue eyes. No offense to you blue-eyed people. But as a Jew, probably didn't have blue or green eyes, okay? But nonetheless, a peasant. Learning a trade as a carpenter. If I could look at the hands of Jesus before he died on the cross, you probably would have seen splinters somewhere in his fingers. He probably experienced slamming a vice against his fingers somewhere along the line. I see Jesus as as a young man perhaps grieving at the graveside of his earthly father, Joseph. Jesus, who probably grieved over the death of younger brothers and sisters because of diseases. I don't know all of that. I'm just supposing that. I see that in my mind's eye. But I do see the picture of Jesus standing and crying over Jerusalem as he wept over the people and their plight. And he was moved with compassion. And he cried out to them, if you only knew, if you only knew what what I have come to bring for you, if you only knew. And as he hangs on the cross, we see the ultimate picture of Jesus and his caring and his love for you and the whole world. As his father completely turns his back on Jesus, looks away from him because Jesus became all of the ugliness that any and every person ever lived and became. And so he cries out, Father, do you too forsake me? Do you not care? Even you, don't you care? And all the while, I I picture old Tiberius probably in his palace getting a rub down. And Pilate maybe sitting in his game room playing some board game with some of his idiots. The Jewish people walking around in, in their plight of losses and sinfulness, not knowing and understanding what Jesus is doing. And yet with all of that going on, Jesus knew that his penny-loving father was overseeing his son on that occasion. God was counting sparrows. In Jesus' day, we're told that sparrows could be bought two for a penny. Some say two for four pennies or two cents a piece, whatever. Two for a penny, not very much. But then Jesus goes on to say this. Fellas, listen. Sparrows are important to the Father. So much that he loves you, in fact, that he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. Jesus was saying, 
Probably the person that loved you more than anybody else on this earth was your mother. Probably true of most of us, right? We say, well, maybe my husband loved me more than my mother. A different way, but probably no one ever loved you more than your mother. I hope that was the case for you. It was for me. Jesus said, uh, God knows the numbers of hairs on your head. God loves you more than your mother loved you. Your mother never counted the hair on your head. Some of y'all have been easy. I was born with a head full of hair. Couldn't have counted mine. It becomes easier every year to count them. But uh, nonetheless, he said, God the Father knows the number of hairs on your head. They're all numbered. That's how much he cares. And the old Negro spiritual said it this way. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. We can remember that being sung many times years ago at the old Billy Graham Crusades. But it says it so wonderfully, the way Jesus said it. God knows the number of sparrows that fall to the ground and die. He knows the number of eggs in the sparrow's nest. knows every one of them. And so, my friend, if you ever doubt that God cares that he knows you and cares about what's going on in your life, I want you to be reminded of that. Because the pain will come. For some, maybe here tonight, you're going through some painful experiences right now. I don't know. For some, you've already come through some pain. And for others, I'll tell you now, you will face some pain and suffering and heartache. But through it all, remember that, that God does care. And the times that it seems he's most silent, and we wish he would show up, and we say, God, where are you? My prayers seemingly are not being heard. Those are the very moments that he comes and he proves over and over again that he does care. We're so proud of our little granddaughter, Mary Kate. She's 19. Mary Kate is in Africa tonight again. We'll be there three or four months. Uh, Mary Kate aspires to being a nurse. And uh, Mary Kate has had a very wonderful upbringing with Christian parents, privileged to, app- to attend Christian school for a while, and always been in church where this was instilled in her. And her heart is missions. And, and she wants to be, and what she's doing in Africa, in Zimbabwe is she's helping to deliver babies. Can you believe that? She wants to be a nurse to go to Zimbabwe and give her life to the people who do not have the kind of care that they really need. And we're so proud of her. But I get tickled because she worked as an apprentice for one of the OBGYN doctors here a couple of years ago. And the first time she went into delivery with him to Assist to watch a delivery of a baby, Mary Kate fainted, hit the floor, and to carry her out. She's done quite well since then. I like the story of Adoniram Judson, one of our first missionaries. Adoniram asked God, God, send me to India. I have a heart for the Indian people in India. You know where God sent him? 
to Burma. He didn't want to go to Burma. He wanted to go to India. Adoniram asked God for a warm family, a supportive family, and as soon as Adoniram and his wife got to Burma, his wife died of a cancer, excuse me, of a fever. He asked God to spare the life of their only child, who also had that fever. The child, like her mother, died. Adoniram asked God every day for new converts of the Burmese people converted to Jesus Christ. And it's recorded in his journals that he, he labored and served the Lord faithfully for seven long years before the first person received the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end, he was asked the question, Adoniram, how did you keep your sanity? And that was his response. Because I know that God is the God of sparrows. He counts the numbers of loss of old sparrows, and he counts the numbers of eggs of the new. So if we wonder if God understands our pain, if he understands our hurts, I have to remind myself that God passed the class, the course called Pain 101 with flying colors. He knows about pain. Our Lord knows about pain. And with flying colors and with hot tears, he understands your pain and mine. So in conclusion, I remind us that we simply are to rejoice because we do belong to the Lord. And he will deliver us from, either deliver us from suffering or he will deliver us through it. Because the cross simply says, I love you. I love you. I care. These words that I want to just read to you, I wouldn't dare otherwise. What I told these guys I was going to do. Listen. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. How much does he care? Are not two sparrows worth a penny? Yet without your father's leave, not one of them may fall to the earth. Father, we thank you tonight. 
that in times when sometimes we, we wonder, we, we might even question or doubt, do you really care? Do you really, really love me? Lord, because we've confessed to you that we're not very lovable, and we'd almost understand if you didn't love us. But we're so thankful that you do. Lord, I'm so thankful that those things, those people, situations that, that I count as worthless are of great value to you. And it's hard for me to imagine that an assassin, one who would take the life of innocent people, would be as worth as much to you as, as my own life or the life of even a person like Billy Graham, someone that has given their entire lives to faithfully serve you. But, but Father, there's no favoritism, there's no difference. And Jesus died once, and he died for all. And may we be reminded of that. And may we, more importantly, as your followers, as he, as he, as he tried to instruct those disciples who seemingly were so slow to learn and it was difficult for them to know what really was ahead. May we also be reminded of how much you really love us. You care for us. And we're so grateful. And even though our words cannot express it, Father, we just want to say again that we love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for this reminder through your word tonight. May we be encouraged and may we seek to encourage others who might need a simple word of encouragement from us this coming week. May we reach out in love to those who are hurting around us. It's everywhere, easy to find. May we love them as you have loved us. May we forgive as you have forgiven us. May we build and not tear down. And I pray all of these things tonight, Father, in that wonderful, matchless, precious name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen. David, we're going to sing. Let's just